All right, well, take your Bibles, please, and join me in Daniel chapter 2 as we return to our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel. Last time we covered verses 1 through 13, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar had a troubling dream, and he wanted an interpretation, so he calls for his wise men. The wise men, understandably, they tell the king, tell us the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Well, the king either forgot it, he just didn't want to tell them. There's different opinions on that. I'm of the opinion he does not remember the dream. I think he remembers enough to know if they were lying to him or not, but he does not know the dream. He says, the thing has gone from me, and the wise men are frustrated, of course, because they want to know, so they ask him again. The, the king basically says, quit stalling. And the king then says, here's the deal, guys. You, you either make the dream known and the interpretation thereof. If you don't, I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your house a dunghill. That's pretty motivating. If you can do it, I'll honor you. The Chaldeans say in verses 10 and 11, there's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that ask such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, little g, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, the king doesn't like that. And... He becomes angry, he becomes very furious, the Bible says, and he issues the command to destroy all the wise men in Babylon, which now includes Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So in verse 13, they search for Daniel, and they're going to kill him. How'd you like to work for this guy, right? I mean, this is terrible. When I uploaded that sermon last week, because I never come up with titles until I, I upload it, because I'm terrible at that, I called it Orchestrated Trials, what we covered last week. God, remember, He's orchestrating all of this. He's in control. He's, he's the one putting all this together so that He will receive the glory due to His name. And he knows who to entrust. And so God is orchestrating the trial. But remember the emphasis last week was God is preparing you for the trial to come. You've gone through trials already in your life. All of us in here. From the littlest to the... We've gone through trials. And God is preparing us for another trial and another trial. You say, well, what kind of God is that we serve? One who is trying to conform you into the image of His Son. Amen. That's the ultimate destiny, the ultimate end goal. That's, that's where God is taking us. And, and we know that one day we shall be like Him when He comes again. That's, that's where we're headed. And so we go through these trials, some very heavy and, and frankly, some are the ones we put ourselves in out of dumb decisions. Yeah. 
right? But I'm talking about here in Daniel, this is something God is very definitely working. And when we approach trials correctly, what happens is we are minimized and God is magnified. We're going to see that here tonight, at least start to. I didn't get as far along as I thought I would. We're going to see that as we go through chapter 2. God is going to be magnified. Daniel's going to minimize himself. Let's begin tonight. Let's read verses 14 through 23 of Daniel chapter 2. The Bible says, beginning in verse 14, Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire the mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O God, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made, me, made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So the decree has gone forth from Nebuchadnezzar that the wise men in Babylon are to be slain. And in verse 14, we see Arioch, captain of the king's guard, And he's going forth, gathering the wise men and having them put to death. We don't know for sure. It could be some are already being put to death. He certainly has the authority to do that. It's probably worth noting how Arioch is more than just a military commander in the royal army. In fact, the two two, uh, words for captain in these verses are different. The one in verse 14, it, it literally means that Arioch is the chief of the executioners. I just like that job. <laughs> Arioch is, is the man that you'd be fine if he never came your way. And I always wonder, did he wear that black hood around everywhere? You know? Um, all right, anyway. Sorry, Lisa, you ain't been here in a while on Wednesday nights. We don't laugh on Wednesday night. Yeah. It's just not the same without you up here, sister. All right. <laughs> All right, that was just for us. But anyway, we see in verse 14 that Daniel speaks to Arioch with counsel and wisdom. The word counsel, it means that Daniel is consulting with Arioch or he is seeking information and inquiring. Remember, some of this is in Aramaic. In fact, through chapter 7, this is going to be in the Aramaic language. And in Aramaic, 
This word literally means that Daniel is using prudence. In Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, he states that prudence is wisdom applied to practice. And then he goes on to define prudence this way. Prudence implies caution in deliberating and consulting on the most suitable means to accomplish valuable purposes. We can see why Daniel is using prudence. He goes on to write, Prudence differs from wisdom in this, that prudence implies more caution and reserve than wisdom, or is exercised more in foreseeing and avoiding evil than in devising and executing that which is good. It is sometimes mere caution or circumspection. And then I looked up a modern definition in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says this, The ability to govern and, and discipline oneself by the use of reason, skill, and good judgment in the use of resources and caution or circumspection as to danger or risk. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with all this, all right? Along with counsel or prudence, we, we read that Daniel speaks with wisdom. And this is an interesting word because it has to do with the taste. In fact, in Daniel, is that Cindy DeGarmo? No? Nick, that's you, brother? If it was your wife, I could give it a pass, but come on, man. You got a water bottle in here? No wonder you're so good looking. All right. Wisdom. Isn't this an interesting thing? In Daniel 5.2, you'll, you'll read this same word, but it says, tasted. In Daniel 5.2, Belshazzar tasted the wine. It's the same word in Aramaic. And so here's Daniel. He's speaking with counsel and, and wisdom. It's tasteful. I take it to mean this, that when Daniel is speaking to Arioch, he's doing it in a way that is palatable. Is everybody with me? He, he's doing it in a manner that is causing Arioch to actually listen to him. What are you saying? He's not being an independent fundamental Baptist. All right, that went over bad. He's not being cantankerous. All right? He's speaking with counsel and wisdom. Even though, look, the commandment's gone forth. Kill all the wise men. And, and, and the reason I wanted to highlight this and not just rush past this statement is because the beginning of verse 14, Daniel, he's keeping himself under control. That's what we are meant to see here. Could you imagine the news you just got, right? Put, try to see this unfolding in your mind. The one man you'd rather not see, the head executioner, is coming your way. When Herod Antipas had John the Baptist beheaded, we read in Mark 6.27, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison. That's essentially Arioch here. Go, go kill. And, and so, sure enough, Arioch comes to Daniel with a message no one wants to hear. Daniel, get your house in order. It's time to die. But isn't this interesting? Daniel doesn't freak out. Right? He doesn't lose his temper. Not sure what good that would do him at this point. He doesn't start lamenting. He's not inconsolable. He's not beside himself, we would say. 
rather, to borrow a phrase from Pastor Williams, he's ruling himself well. He stays under control. He speaks with prudence and in a way that causes Ariok to want to listen to what Daniel has to say. We could learn a lot about this as we try to minister to people. You know, some people in life believe the only way they can get something is if they pitch a fit about it. You ever met those people? They're embarrassing to go out to eat with because they always get a free meal. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, good night, chill, the water's wet, what more do you want? You know? I think people would be surprised what they could accomplish if they would just stay under control. I'm not suggesting I've mastered this. Follow me enough in the car and watch me when I get behind a terrible driver. But I'm trying. And, and, and the fact is, when we allow others or our circumstances to control our emotions, we are not under control. And really, when we allow the externals to control us, we are showcasing our immaturity. And, and we're demonstrating our lack of faith that God orders our steps. I'm preaching to myself. It's okay. We need to not just fly off the handle when things don't go our way. Understand that God is in control. God is sovereign. The family Bible notes stated this, The truly wise man is known by his ability to calm the excitement of the passionate and thus gain for himself and them time for prudent action. That's a good quote. I remember Dave Summerdorf here once talking about something. (laughs) And he said, as Christians, we're to take big things and make them little. At least the godly will. Right? Why? Because we have a big God. And He can handle anything. Proverbs 16, 14, The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. So Daniel, he has his act together. He's not demonstrating his immaturity. He's actually demonstrating his faith in God, that his heavenly Father knows that God is aware of what's going on and that God is still in control. I think we could say that Daniel was wise beyond his years. This is a young man. Many are out of control when things don't go their way. But Daniel doesn't go off the deep end in a panic. He uses good judgment, discretion. He's thinking clearly and intelligently. And... I believe this is a learned behavior because we're not born this way. At least not not me and not the ones that live in my house. It's a learned behavior because what do we have to do in the Christian life? We have to learn to bring our flesh under submission, under subjection. How do you do that? You walk in the Spirit. You put off the old man. You walk in the new man. And it also not only takes walking with God, but we have to be willing to humbly receive correction. Most of us don't like correction. In verse 15, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel very calmly, without resistance, seeks for information by asking Ariok, why is the decree 
so hasty from the king. What in the world has happened that has caused the king to issue such a cruel decree with such haste? Obviously, the king has not exhausted all of his options, right? Because Daniel doesn't even know what's going on. And don't forget at the end of chapter 1, the king said of, of, of Daniel and the three, he found them to be ten times wiser than all of the other uh, wise men in Babylon. And yet, why didn't he call on Daniel? I'll tell you why. Because a furious man is not thinking straight. Amen. Out of control. Proverbs 29, 22, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. I know there's much we can find to complain about in our government today, but aren't you glad we don't live in this system where all it takes is one man who had a bad day at lunch and now just wants to kill everybody? I mean, be thankful. Daniel, he's, he's innocent here, and yet he's about to die for something he doesn't even know. Well, we see at the end of verse 15 that Arioch tells Daniel what's going on, and I don't know about you, but I get the sense that Arioch totally disagrees with the king. The decree has been issued, and Arioch has all authority to kill Daniel on the spot, but instead he fills this Hebrew captive in on what's going on. And I think this says a lot about Daniel, don't you? His reputation among the wise men, is, it must have been something. In addition, Arioch may be thinking, you know, my king is still troubled. He hasn't got any help. The, the dream still hasn't been interpreted or known. And maybe he's, he's thinking Daniel can help. But like I said, obviously not all means have been exhausted yet. And, and not to mention, what do they have to lose at this point? Right? Verse 16, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time that he would show the king the interpretation. And so though it's not recorded for us in between verses 15 and 16, we can gather that a conversation has taken place between Daniel and Arioch for Daniel to be able to convince this man that let me get in before the king and I'll, I'll let him know the interpretation. And, and so Arioch agrees to this and he brings him in before the king and, and Daniel lets the king know, hey, I, I'll, I'll make it known to you. And so we can be assured at this point, Daniel was very well respected. He had to be highly favored for a Hebrew captive who's only been out of training for just over a year to get this kind of attention and respect from a man who's the head of the executioners. And really, when you think about this verse, this is extraordinary because both of these men are taking a great risk. Arioch, he's shouldn't be bringing in the wise men before the king, who the king said to kill. Right? Arioch, he's taking a risk because he's not doing what the king has commanded him to do. And of course, Daniel's taking a risk. He's daring to show up before the king, being in the company of the people the king has said to go kill. And how bold is this of Daniel? He desires time from the king when the king had already denied time to the others. Are you seeing how God is at work here? That's what I'm trying to hammer here. 
We know the king grants Daniel some time. And perhaps when Nebuchadnezzar saw Daniel, he, he realized, oh yeah, Daniel. He's ten times wiser than any of my other wise men. I don't know. But what are we to attribute to all of this? Listen to me. We're meant to recognize God in all of this. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. That Daniel would be brought in before the king when he's supposed to be dead. That Arioch would dare disobey the king. That Daniel would have all this favor. God is at work. It was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream to begin with. Knowing that the Chaldeans would not know it. And obviously then not be able to interpret it. God is the one who blessed Daniel with favor. God is the one who's working in Arioch's heart to bring Daniel in before the king. Daniel understood, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. But don't miss this. Daniel offered something to the king that the other wise men didn't. Did you catch it? Daniel says, I'll show the king the interpretation. Whoa. You talk about faith. How's this for faith in God? And, and not only that, Daniel never even asked the king, can you give me a hint of what it was about? And why not? And, and, and why shouldn't Daniel do this? He's a dead man either way. I mean, we know he's going to live. But if he says, I'll show you, at least he gets another day. Right? I mean, that's cool. <laughs> he's already sentenced to die. He might as well plead for God to intervene. And, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting God is a last resort. But don't give up without ever seeking God's face. I like what our choir sings. When God is all you have, you'll find that He's all you need. And no doubt, Daniel behaved himself wisely before the king. Proverbs 15.1 tells us that a soft answer turneth away wrath. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's spirit has it's risen up against the wise men. But Daniel doesn't leave his post. How many people have left because their boss got mad? I'm going to get off track here. I can feel it. So I'm, I'm not. I am. Everybody looking for the perfect scenario. The perfect scenario doesn't exist. You know what the Bible's saying there? If your boss gets mad at you, don't leave your place. Yielding pacifieth great offenses. Daniel yields to the king. He didn't do as the Chaldeans did. He doesn't suggest to the king, you're crazy, no man on earth. No one can do this. He doesn't throw things back at the king. He doesn't say, this is such a rare thing. 
that you would require this. Are you catching this? Listen, he doesn't talk down to the king whatsoever. And he's pacifying the wrath of the king. Well, in verse 17, we read, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And I'm not going to dwell here, but you know, our homes, they ought to be sanctuaries in this world. I know for some that isn't the case, and my heart breaks for those who have to leave the home to find refuge. Shame on you, dads, if that's your home. Husbands. No, our homes ought to be a place that we can get alone with God. And I believe we all need a place that we can go to where we can shut the world out and just be with the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said? But when thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. That's what Daniel's doing. And we see that Daniel enlists the help of his three friends. Matthew Henry stated, praying friends are valuable friends. Amen. And I say a big amen right there. We should have those we trust enough to go to when the times are tough. Those that we can go to and say, I need you to pray for this. Pray with me and for me. Listen, either we believe in the power of prayer or we don't. You know, Jesus died to give us that access. It must be worth doing. With these four men in prayer, I was reminded of how Jesus would call Peter, James, and John aside a little bit further than the others. And certainly application could be made here to that when Christ prayed in the garden. If Daniel enlisted help in prayer, if the Apostle Paul enlisted help in prayer, if Jesus enlisted help in prayer, then why should we shy away from asking for prayer? Sometimes our pride does get in the way, doesn't it? And maybe we don't want people to think that we're weak or know our business. That's my problem. I don't want you up in my business. Pride gets in the way. But we must never underestimate the power of united prayer. Is that not what we've been seeing through the book of Acts? being of one accord, praying together. Matthew 18, 19, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. United prayer. Two or more. Acts 12, 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And of course, Peter was miraculously freed that night by the angel of the Lord. The church is still learning the power of prayer because when Peter shows up, they don't believe it. We'll get to that at some point in years from now. <laughs> chapter 12. Well, in verse 18, we see why Daniel sought for some time and it wasn't to try the methods of the Chaldeans. It wasn't to get a book on some psychobabble. It wasn't to read the blogs. It wasn't to listen to a podcast on dreams. No, Daniel requested time 
so that I can see God's face. So many times we, we want the seminar, the book, the devotion, the this. Did you go to God about it? John said, you don't need that another teacher. You have the best teacher in you. Daniel makes his prayer request known. And he says that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And there's a lot here that we could really get into. I'm going to try to be succinct. But we see that God is referred to as the God of heaven. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. Why is that important? Because God is over all and above all. Amen? He's ruling from heaven, from His throne. He has dominion over this whole. The earth is His and the fullness thereof. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. Daniel recognizes that he has no power in of himself to know this dream and to offer an interpretation. He understands that this secret is only known to God, and so to God he must go. Daniel also recognizes that God is the fountain of all mercy. That God delights in mercy, that He's rich in mercy, that His mercy endureth forever. And they have nowhere else to turn but God. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Boy, we could have used that in 2020. And we see they pray for their lives to be spared. I've heard some preachers talk about prayer like you should never, it's a crime if you pray for yourself. No, it's okay to pray for yourself. It's just as necessary as praying for others. Amen. So if somebody has beat that into you that you're wrong if you pray for yourself, pray for yourself. You're not as good as you think you are. This request sure does sound similar to when Abraham said to the Lord in Genesis 18.25, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer, of course, is yes. These four men, they go to God in prayer, and we see in the first half of verse 19, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Now, I can imagine they stayed in prayer until they got the answer. The old-timers in the South used to call this praying through. I'm not getting up until I have assurance that God has heard me and that I have heard from God. How quick we give up on prayer. Come on now. How quick? Well, I prayed about it. Did you keep praying about it? Do you remember the account in the New Testament 
Give me some bread. Give me some bread. Give me some bread. Fine, I'll get up and give you the bread. And God is up there wanting to hear from you. And you think, I prayed once, I'm good. Keep praying. God, give me bread. What did the judge say? I'm tired of this woman coming to me every day complaining. We give up too quick because we want immediate results. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Now listen to me. I don't don't want to get too controversial here. I believe what we can learn from these verses in the Bible on prayer, and I don't have time to cover them all, obviously. The kind of answers you're seeking for, for those deepest prayer requests, they are reserved for those who are living righteously, walking in truth, and are calling out to Him in faith. Nothing wavering. Man, I don't want to stop. i got to hurry. Listen, God is not some bellhop up in the sky. He's not some genie in a bottle. He's not up there to grant our wishes. He's not a a fairy godmother. You don't get to make requests and simply attach in Jesus' name at the end and then magically everything's going to work out just the way you wanted it. You have to walk with God. God has to be revered. He's to be approached reverently. Hallowed be thy name. We are to call upon Him as the Almighty God who is high and lifted up. Isn't that what happened to Isaiah there in Isaiah 6? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it changed him. God hears the cry of the sinner. I know that. Thank God He does. He'll save any who come to Him. But according to Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's not my opinion. Psalm 24, 3 and 5, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Psalm 34, 17 through 19, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them of a broken heart and of a contrite spirit. That is crushed, is what it means. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. I got to wrap this up. Listen, God wants to bless you, He does. But He wants you to walk with Him. Too many try the line, I tried God, but He hasn't come through for me. Were you walking with Him? Did you have a broken heart? Did you have a contrite spirit? Are you really exercising faith in God? Listen, don't be guilty of hurling accusations against God when you can't say in your heart that you're right with Him. 
Don't live a life of unfaithfulness and expect God to show Himself faithful. Don't expect God to show Himself strong on your behalf when you're not even walking with Him. And listen, i got a lot more Bible to back me up than the prosperity preachers do. I'll just end with this, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards Him. How's your prayer life? God, I, I think you should have come through. Are you walking with Him? Is your heart right with Him? Let's pray.